and welcome to this episode of the FTI Cybersecurity Podcast Series, The Expert Briefing. My name is Caroline Dasmoufray, and I am the EMEA Chief Strategy Officer here at FTI Consulting. Throughout this podcast series, FTI experts will discuss the latest issues and trends impacting the world of cybersecurity right now. Today, I'm here with my FTI colleague, Josh Birch, and we're excited to be joined by Ed Vasey to discuss future trends. I will let my guests introduce themselves. Thanks, Caroline. Hi, I'm Josh Birch, a Senior Managing Director and Head of Cybersecurity for the Europe, Middle East, India and Africa regions based in London. And I'm Ed Vasey. I'm a member of the House of Lords. So I was an MP for 14 years. And during that time, I was David Cameron's Minister for Technology, where I had some responsibility for cybersecurity. Ed, Josh, thank you for joining me today. Starting with our first topic, cybersecurity quickly took center stage in 2020, as both organizations and individuals alike became the targets of cyber attacks as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. A recent UK National Cybersecurity Centre report indicated that more than a quarter of cyber incidents responded to this past year were COVID-related. And in addition to that, there was a 10% increase in cyber attacks recorded across the board. So as we look to 2021, we must remain vigilant regarding cyber threats, especially considering that there are several events with global implications if cybersecurity becomes an oversight. Josh, if we could start with you, is 2021 the year cybersecurity becomes mainstream? Caroline, thanks very much. I mean, it's a great question. And I think um, cybersecurity really has emerged onto everyone's uh, radar over the last 12 months. And, and COVID-19, of course, significantly set the context for all of this. I mean, that combination that I'm sure uh, you would all recognize, and certainly our clients uh, experienced of, of this social confusion uh, that the pandemic has caused, uncertainty, uh, new ways of working in a distributed environment, and all of which has been enabled by technology. Um, it's intensified. It's, it's, it's brought to the forefront uh, the cybersecurity challenge. And, and uh, all of us uh, have uh, been in the firing line as as potential victims of this, because you know we've all been psychologically more susceptible uh, as we've sat at home working uh, using these new techniques uh, and these new tools, uh, and therefore it's made the opportunity for uh, attackers uh, even greater. And I think, you know, in those very early days of the the pandemic. Um, organizations were dealing with a variety of crises from ensuring their workforces were uh, secure at home to ensuring their readiness for a cyber crisis to maintaining critical systems in the face of very competing operational priorities and I think as we look forward to, to 2021 you know we're not out of the woods yet uh, with COVID-19 a lot of those challenges uh, will remain the same and I, I think new challenges uh, are coming forward, new events that will happen this year um, that will be significant pressures. Um, Ed, what, what are your thoughts? So, I mean, I obviously agree with you. I mean, I was uh, the cybersecurity minister, if you like, in 2010. So that was a decade ago. And that was the time actually when the UK finance minister, George Osborne, put a lot of money into cybersecurity at a time when he was cutting budgets quite severely elsewhere because of the uh, post-financial crisis recession. So, I would say obviously that cybersecurity has been very high on the agenda now for many, many years. And again, it sort of incrementally increases its, uh, aware, its awareness, if you like, in, in the public domain. And obviously the 2016 presidential election was another st stepping stone, if you like, to bring home to people, as it were, in real life, uh, the nature of these nation state threats and how they were being carried out. But I absolutely endorse what you say, Josh, which is that I think the pandemic has really thrown it into even further sharp relief. And of course, 
it's done that because we're now getting to the stage where more and more companies are looking at distributed workforces. You know, if you take a typical company, for example, with a call center, most of their people handling very sensitive data will be working from home on obviously a company computer, uh, but still in some senses, uh, perhaps arguably more vulnerable than if they were working in a call center. So companies, as they encourage their workforce to work from home and financial institutions are very prominent in this debate at the moment with you know a lot of American banks, for example, encouraging their workforce no longer to have to work in New York, uh, as an example, they're gonna have to be very, very aware of the cybersecurity implications, the added layer of complication that is added by having a workforce at home. I'm not obviously advocating that people should be dragged back into the office for cybersecurity purposes, but as I'm sure you're aware from your vast experience, Josh, the great irony, the paradox, if you like, about cybersecurity is it's not actually a technology problem. Very often it's a human problem. And the more dispersed your workforce is, the harder it is to control, as it were, some of the ways and means in which people can hack your network. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because we've, we've seen more and more people working from home, obviously, and I think business leaders hope for some kind of new normal in the coming months. But do we think that something has changed as a result of the pandemic? So, you know, we, we've seen new models around uh, hybrid working. We've seen more people working remotely. Um, is it is it a spike in cyber risks? Is it likely to go back to normal after the pandemic subsides? Or do we think something has changed fundamentally? I think personally that something has fundamentally changed. I mean, I think we were already on a journey of, of exponential uh, technological change. And as I think that 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 sort of greater preponderance of use of technology and, and, and the scope and the opportunity of it, we're seeing in parallel a real expansion of the attack surface uh, that cyber attackers are malicious. Uh, cyber actors uh, can consider. And of course, you know, a lot of the devices, uh, 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 a lot of the Internet of Things uh, devices that we're seeing, you know, these are not created with, with security in mind as their, as their primary uh, priority. They're, they're used to be produced and deployed quickly to add value to people's working lives and their personal lives. Um, so, so organizations need to be keeping, you know, a very, very careful eye uh, on the extent and the impact uh, of all of this and I completely agree uh, with something that Ed said a moment ago about about that balance between technology and uh, and people I mean I always say that that cybersecurity is about one part technology and about four parts about people uh, because it's always going to be easier uh, frankly to hack the human uh, than it is to confront the much more potentially demanding and complex task of hacking into uh, firewalls and corporate networks particularly uh, when such significant resources are, are aimed at them uh, and it really links back to my earlier point about COVID-19, that, that the balance of opportunity is in the favour uh, of the attackers now, because you know, people are so much more exposed and potentially so much more vulnerable. And I think, uh, to a certain extent, we're facing a perfect storm. So it's quite obvious, not only obvious with people working from home, therefore providing more opportunities and more vulnerabilities, but also, obviously, the pandemic has encouraged all of us to go online. I mean, if we just look at our purchases over the last uh, few months, as it were, and into the future, uh, I'm sure each of us, and we're probably relatively tech savvy, despite my late middle age, um, are purchasing online. And I think Josh makes a very good point, which is often overlooked about the advent of 5G. Now, we're all looking forward to 5G because we think we can download our films more quickly on a mobile phone. But the real prize for 5G, which would be a public benefit, 
is going to be in the Internet of Things. And that's things like, for example, self-driving cars. I often um, characterize 5G perhaps unfairly and facetiously as the world of talking fridges. So imagine what happens when your fridge attacks and starts uh, throwing milk cartons at you. So you're going to have all these connected devices in your home. You're going to be driving effectively a computer on wheels in a few years, and that provides huge opportunities. But when I say it's a perfect storm, the other side of this equation is obviously the geopolitical situation. And I know that uh, as we look forward into, yeah, as we're in, in 2021, uh, the geopolitical situation again provides a very fertile ground uh, for cyber security issues and why we need to discuss them. Fantastic. And uh, we, we mentioned uh, Internet of Things and connected objects such as your talking fridge. And I'm just wondering, is there, is there an angle for supply chains here and should business leaders be worried about it? I think the supply chain is one of the most significant challenges that um, organizations that we're talking to need to be thinking about. And, and in all the conversations that we have with clients about identifying their crown jewels when it comes to cybersecurity, when it comes to getting the basics right, when it comes to having a crisis plan and practicing it. The thing which is so easy to forget is that cybersecurity is not just about the perimeter of your own organization, which is a challenge enough for all the reasons that, that you and Ed have just been talking about, but actually it's all about the extent of the connectivity between you and those critical suppliers uh, that are feeding you uh, services and capabilities, and also which are potentially taking your organizations and your customers' data uh, in order to, to deliver those services. Um, and it, it is an area where we see particular vulnerability at the moment. Uh, a number of instances uh, over the past year of, of COVID where actually it hasn't been the core organizations who, uh, who have been uh, uh, targeted and, and have been compromised. It's been the people who are delivering services to them. And that's sort of what I meant when I mentioned the geopolitical risk, because if you want to uh, look at the most, the best example of the most acute disruption of supply chains, it's provided by this thing called uh, Brexit and uh, Brexit, whatever the outcome uh, will be over time, is going to severely disrupt supply chains between the UK and Europe. And uh, that will provide hackers with enormous opportunities, uh, I think, caused by the confusion that is uh, generated. And I think that the other thing, obviously, uh, I don't want to get too political here, uh, is that, you know, the close cooperation between uh, different countries within the European Union on uh, security and cyber intelligence is also potentially up for disruption. I know that we're assured that security is not part and parcel, obviously, of the rows that have uh, surrounded Brexit. And it's obviously in everybody's shared interest to try and maintain that security link. But it, it's inevitable, I think, it's human nature that there will be some disruption. So the geopolitical and the technology are combining here to provide uh, this very, I think, disturbing scenario and to make uh, and it's a very very good case for why uh corporations should really really be on their game in 2021 when it comes to cyber security do you agree with that do you think that brexit will provide uh, greater opportunities for scammers and that it will increase cyber risks overall so i think that um and again without wishing to be too political but i think anything which creates ambiguity uh uh, and challenge and also you know a um, uh, ex, you know extra demands on resources and management and operational focus in the company is inevitably going to have 
a knock-on impact in terms of the bandwidth of companies uh, to deploy resources and efforts uh, on issues like cybersecurity. Um, I think coming back to uh, Ed's point though about uh, the, the sort of underlying collaboration, you know, national security uh, is not one of the competences uh, of the European Union uh, and therefore there will be uh, kind of abiding links uh, which which bonds together and push towards collaboration uh, uh, the key nations uh, in the European Union uh, and the UK uh, and of course you know that 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 underlying shared interest uh, of security uh, and mutual defense uh, against hostile actors be they cyber uh, be they nation state uh, I think will be an instinct which uh, survives the challenges uh, and the demands uh, of Brexit. Now, there are clearly questions around uh, the legalities and the ease of sharing data and sharing information, but I'm pretty confident, uh, based on my previous experiences uh, and what I've seen, uh, that the instinct uh, to support and to protect uh, nations uh, and communities who share common values uh, and a common approaches in the world uh, will stay uh, strong and resilient. I think you're probably right, Josh. I mean, all I would say is that, that to a certain extent, there is going to be some disruption in terms of criminal uh, enforcement and the sharing of databases between the EU and the UK uh, police intelligence services. So I think that uh, while I totally agree with you, no one is going to cut their nose off to spite their face and um, increase their security risks unnecessarily. I still think the disruption will have some impact. I think we've talked a bit about Brexit and how that is going to be uh, an occasion of disruption, which and any disruption is unhelpful in the context of this discussion. But the, the other side of the coin, as it were, and where you might perhaps say there's an element of optimism is obviously with a new administration in the US. Uh, and I think this goes to your point about cooperation. You know, the Five Eyes network is incredibly important. The US intelligence relationship, not just with the UK, but with the other five eyes and indeed with Europe is incredibly important. I think you will see in this administration much more willingness obviously to work in partnership but the key point here I think is that that partnership will to a certain extent be directed at China and of course that tension between the US and China is not going away with a new administration and that tension, that cold war if you like, the 21st century of a Cold War is not only a different actor, China instead of the Soviet Union, but it is a digital Cold War. It's a, it's a war about the ownership of technology and the development of technology. And it's a war conducted uh, without you know, guns and ships, but in cyberspace. In cyberspace. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we, we're all in this together in a way. Uh, we're talking about nation states, but I think we've also been talking about companies that have been the victims of cyber attacks. I mean, if we just look at the last 12 months, uh, we surveyed uh, over 2,500 large companies uh, asking them about their experience in relation to COVID and cyber. And 32% of the businesses we surveyed have experienced a loss of customer or patient data as a result of a cyber attack. 28% have been victims of uh, phishing or, or social engineering, which is the human element you were talking about, Josh. Um, and 26% have lost major intellectual property as a result. So, you know, going back to the point around industry convergence, ecosystems and collaboration, do we expect more collaboration between nation states, between businesses and be between different members of the ecosystem? Is that, is that the way forward? 
I do think, uh, and I'll let Josh uh, in in a moment, <laughs> with his far greater expertise than I've got. But as I say, in terms of uh, the new US administration, I do think we will see more cooperation. It's perhaps, again, another paradox that if you have a, a, a common enemy, and I don't want to over-egg the US-China conflict, they're both capable of doing that themselves. But if you have a sort of common focus, and clearly the focus is on the Chinese race to catch up in technology terms, if you have a common focus, you are likely to get uh, greater cooperation. And as I say, and, and, and it's the theme, as it were, of this entire discussion, you know, cybersecurity, particularly given some of the international events that may happen in 2021 as the pandemic recedes, uh, international cooperation, a Western alliance, as it were, on cyber, I think is, uh, you know, very central. You know, I think there are, there are these other themes. I don't want to disappear on a tangent. Climate change is a, is a very good example of where the new administration is re-engaging the US and where international cooperation is essential. But I think cyber, you know, it's not going to dominate in the way that climate change policy dominates. But cyber, you could see a similar alliance across nation states in terms of how to deal with cyber. Ed, no, thank you. And I think the, um, the, the point for me about cybersecurity is that it is a team sport. You know, it's a team sport of collaboration amongst nation states. Uh, it's a team sport between government and the private sector. Um, and actually, if all organizations and nations had greater confidence to share what they're seeing, what's going on, the kind of the threats they're detecting uh, and their insights. I think we would all be uh, collectively uh, safer. Um, I think there is something though, uh, back to your points about, about nation state activity, uh, there is still an East versus West uh, uh, dynamic to this, um, where you know it will be in the interests of certain nation state actors to deploy their cyber capabilities, uh, whereas 15 years ago they might have deployed information operations or uh, or military forces. Today, uh, on repeated examples, we're, we're, we're seeing nation states deploying uh, cyber capabilities to achieve strategic outcomes. Um, and I think we will definitely uh, see that continue and intensify and become more sophisticated uh, into the future, which is a real challenge for the organizations and the clients that, that we're talking to. Um, as we've seen uh, examples uh, over the last few months, you know, if a really sophisticated cyber actor potentially backed by nation state capabilities wants to penetrate your organization, it will penetrate your organization. And there is almost nothing that you can do about it, which is why I tell my clients that a cyber attack is a, a matter of when and not if. But what you can do, of course, is to prepare to be resilient uh, in the face uh, uh, of, those, of those moments and those attacks uh, to uh, work out in advance your crown jewels, your critical assets and systems that you're going to defend first and invest and focus in them to have your crisis plan ready and practiced so that when, not if this happens, uh, you can stand up your response and bring your business back online. Because I think that organizations will increasingly find that cybersecurity is a, is a matter of, of strategic advantage uh, for them in the market for a variety of state stakeholders, be those customers and clients, be those employees, uh, and be those investors in those organizations and in those businesses, all of whom will have a more and more sophisticated understanding and expectation of cybersecurity, uh, that if they fall down, they will fall behind uh, their competitors and suffer in a variety of ways. 
I think that's a, a, a very good point. And I think, um, you know, and you would not want to imply, obviously, Josh, uh, that because it is impossible to completely defend your organisation, you shouldn't make uh, as much effort to do so. And to, for me to make a profoundly facile point, uh, you obviously wouldn't leave your office without locking the door. So everything you've talked about in terms of resilience and uh, a crisis management plan, just as you would have if your office burnt down, to put it bluntly, in terms of preserving your records and so on, uh, is absolutely essential. But And it also drifts down, as it were, into the very, very, very basic stuff of regular patching, uh, ensuring your remote workers are using VPNs to access your company data, two-factor authentication, and also making your employees aware of scams and occasionally scamming some of your employees just to see if they uh, fall for it are all the kind of things that people can do. And there is also, it's become a bit of a cliche, but it, uh, the thing about cliches, they're true, is, is obviously having somebody on your board uh, who is responsible for cybersecurity, engaging with your professional service suppliers, your lawyers and your insurers about cybersecurity. So there is a lot, and the best companies do this now, and the best companies do spend actually significant sums of money on cybersecurity because it keeps everything running. But the last thing you want, obviously, is for your company to be taken down by a couple of teenagers in their back bedroom. Not only is that incredibly disruptive to your organization, but it's also in this day and age, extraordinarily embarrassing. And it's a, it, 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 it amazes me that one social media platform, apparently when it had its big hack, it was indeed, even in 2020, two teenagers uh, in a bedroom, allegedly. Interesting you should say that, Ed, because 75% of the companies we surveyed have uh, indicated that cybersecurity has now become a board-level concern. Um, we talked about good practice, we talked about the human factor and about kind of getting your house in order and making sure that you lock the door behind you in the evening when you leave. Um, is there also an element of preparedness, to go back to Josh's point? So if it's a matter of when, not if, uh, and if uh, there is a correlation between cyber incidents and external events, can we prepare? And I'd like to take 2021 as, a, as an example. So, you know, we, we have some major events planned for next year. I think the Tokyo Olympics are, are a great example. We have Brexit in the pipeline as well. Is there, is there something business leaders should be thinking about in terms of these events? And uh, are there any questions we should ask ourselves now? Caroline, it's a great question. And I, I think the, um, the Olympics obviously does, amongst other events next year, you know, create a real focus um, for a lot of these kind of threats and dynamics to kind of come together in one place. Because an event like the Olympics, high profile, uh, high prestige, involving multiple nation states, uh, uh, involving multiple organizations, personal data, uh, and potentially financial flows uh, around the organization of it as well, is the perfect honeypot uh, for, uh, for for, for uh, cyber attackers to, to consider. Um, and so I think for an event like that, uh, uh, be it Japan, but be it any of the kind of component organizers, they do absolutely need to be thinking about uh, their core cybersecurity preparedness and building on some of the points that Ed made around getting the basics right. You know, most cyber attacks can be defeated by getting the basics right. And all the things that Ed mentioned about VPNs, about two-factor authentication, about strong passwords, uh, about being absolutely clear what your crisis response plan is. Uh, all of these things are as relevant for a major international event like the Olympics uh, yes. as they are for individual organisations. We, we shouldn't forget that. And it, it's perhaps ironic that maybe maybe the Tokyo Olympics, you know, the best way to prepare is to have a strong, strong password. But they'll be doing 
a lot more. It occurs to me, actually, that, uh, again, without wishing to get too political, but, uh, you know, there is an argument that the West was schooled, schooled by the East in terms of how to deal with the pandemic, in terms of how some countries in Southeast Asia managed to, uh, particularly, you know, people like South, countries like South Korea. And actually, the spotlight is going to be on the East in 2021, because not only have you got the Tokyo Olympics, but a lot of events that were traditionally held in the West, uh, particularly because they were going to be held at the beginning of the year, are now moving east. I think obviously of Davos, which I now gather is going to be in Singapore. And also for those art lovers listening to this podcast and the crossover between art loving and cybersecurity is very intense. Um, art Basel is apparently moving to Singapore. So we might find that uh, particularly those listening in, in the West who go to international events, this is a great opportunity perhaps to learn from people who I suspect are pretty good at uh, protecting themselves from major cyber attacks. So a lot of the data we have shows that for most companies and individuals, there is an expectation that the world is not going to come back to what it was before COVID. Uh, people expect supply chains to be disrupted for a very, very long time. They expect consumer behavior to change. Uh, are there any trends in cybersecurity which we expect will be different going forward? Josh, what is your view on that? Caroline, thanks. I think that organisations in 2021 uh, need to be thinking about a variety of, of medium and long term trends. Uh, and these are certainly the things that we're talking to our clients about uh, at the moment. Uh, the first is just a reality that the, the threat landscape that we've been describing throughout this conversation uh, is evolving. Uh, and so cybersecurity must not be a sort of once and done tick box exercise. Organisations uh, and security leaders and commercial leaders uh, in organizations need to be thinking uh, about how they're going to stay abreast as they grow as companies, as their workforces change and move, as their, uh, as their markets and suppliers change. They need to be thinking about this as an evolving threat. Uh, the second thing that I would emphasize, and this is something which really kind of came up during uh, 2020 because of COVID-19, but it's, it's going to uh, intensify further into 2021, is the potential threat from disgruntled insiders. Uh, you know, as pressure is put on organizations, organizations around pay, around redundancies, uh, workforces who are potentially less happy, uh, but also less monitored uh, as they sit at home in this very, very new working and distributed environment. Uh, it's, a, it's an issue that organizations need to keep high up on their radar. Um, we talked about third party risks and the supply chain. I mean, this is absolutely uh, critical as the complexity uh, and the international nature of, of, of supply uh, evolves. And I would really uh, place emphasis on that. Longer term, I think there are three things that I would highlight. Um, the first is that, again, with cybersecurity, we must maintain ample budget for this. There will be pressures on organizations. There will be lots of reasons to focus uh, attention elsewhere. But you cannot, at this stage, uh, cut budget uh, for an area uh, of threat which is becoming uh, so critical and so relevant. Um, we've touched on the fourth industrial revolution uh, and the exponential rate of technological change. That will only get faster, that will only get more accelerated. Uh, and organizations need to, to really kind of grip the reality of that uh, and, and, uh, 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 and put in place their security protocols uh, to take account of it. 
Uh, and I think the last point that I would make looking long term is actually around talent management and investment in security teams and capabilities. It is a really scarce resource. There are not a lot of people out there who have the skills and experiences that organizations need to keep them secure in this changing environment. So actually nurturing and paying attention to your security teams and their capabilities is so critical at the moment uh, and corporate leaders mustn't uh, just ignore them uh, and assume uh, that it's all happening in the background. Josh, thank you for these great points. And it's very interesting what you said about, about resilience and preparedness. Now, I'd like to come back to that because uh, in our resilience research, we've identified 14 dimensions of resilience. And cybersecurity is clearly at the heart of it. There is no dimension of resilience that cannot be impacted by cybersecurity, both in terms of uh, value protection, but also in terms of the potential for destruction. And so, you know, I was uh, I was uh, really interested to hear Ed talk about the kind of the nation state level concerns, but also it mirrors some of the conversations we've had with our clients about uh, business planning and also their strategy for the year ahead. So thank you. Thank you to my colleague, George Birch, and our special guest, Ed Vasey, for joining me today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you'd like to find out more about what we do here at FTI Cybersecurity or how we help build a resilient future for our clients, please reach out to myself or any of today's guests via the FTI website. Mm -hmm.